I've been all over the place today, y'all. You know, there's a bluegrass worship service happening like right out there. It is on fire. It's so awesome. It's awesome in here. It's awesome in cafe. I know it's just the greatest day. I love coming home Sunday. I love when Western students come back. Uh, I'm a WKU alumni myself. Uh, I was an art student, nerd alert. I was an art student. Uh, it, it was fantastic, man. I, I love my Western days, and, and I love so much uh, that, that some of you will spend your college days uh, in the life of Woodburn Baptist Church. So God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here today, Western students. If you need a pastor, if you need help, if you just need anything at all, you call on me, you call on our church. Uh, if you just need to talk, I will, I will meet you at Panda Express and I will eat orange chicken while you, while you pour your heart out. Uh, I, I will do that for you. Uh, I'm serious. Uh, I will do anything in the world I can for you guys. I, I appreciate you so much. Um, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Jonah. The horrible thing is between outside and inside, I shut my Bible and like Jonah is the hardest book of the Bible to find. So y'all talk amongst yourselves. Well, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's here. There. It's after, for those of you looking, it's after Obadiah and before Micah, but it's just this long. It's, it's, it's a short book. Um, so be turning in, and, and you, it's, all, it's never cheating to use the table of contents. That's okay. Um, it's going to be a fun day, you all. Uh, we're going to have a, in, in the history of Woodburn Baptist Church, we've never had a jousting arena until today. But nothing says, you know, Christian family like hand-to-hand combat. So this is going to be so awesome. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's inflatable, but you have these two platforms and these two big foam mallets, and you try to knock each other off. It's going to be awesome. It's like every business meeting we've ever had. You know, whop, you know, whop. Not really. Uh, it's going to be good. We'll let the senior ladies have the first 30 minutes uh, in the jousting <laughs> arena. Uh, my money's on Edie Austin in, in, in that competition. Uh, just kidding, Edie. Uh, God bless all of you. Got good food. Uh, gosh, Casey and I, in our old age, we're becoming lamer and lamer potluck people. Used to, like, uh, and we should, y'all, I'm sorry, I don't need, I don't need to tell y'all this. Um, used to, like, we'd be starting on Friday, like, what are we going to bring? And then we'd think of something, and then we'd go to the grocery and make something, you know, huge, like you all do. Y'all keep doing that because it's awesome, because this year we brought moon pies. <laughs> like, seriously, like moon pies. Not like that we made. Uh, I mean, IGA moon pies. Uh, I can't wait to see what y'all brought, though, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat with y'all. And then take my moon pies home. That's how that'll work. That'll be good. Uh, Jonah chapter 1. I want to start a new series uh, in the book of Jonah, verse by verse, uh, and there aren't that many. Jonah, the whole book is right there, just uh, four chapters. I want us to take a deep and long look into Jonah, um, the mission story, and it is a mission story. You're thinking, Pastor Tim, I know the whole story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, It's a fish story, and I'm telling you, no, it is not a fish story. If you read these four chapters as we're about to do over the next few weeks, this is not a story about a fish at all. Uh, there's a fish in it. It's a big fish. It'll get fishy next week for us. But, um, but no, this is a missions story. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel was, of course, called to be this light to the nations, which they are and, and which they were. But at the very same time, it's not until Jonah that anyone, any prophet is called, given a message, and sent. And so Jonah is, you could say, the very, very first international missionary. He's the first one that God calls and sends out with one purpose, and that is to preach this message to the Gentiles. And that's what Jonah is called to do. First international missionary ever, and as we're about to find out, the worst 
missionary ever, Jonah. Uh, so let's read it. We'll do the whole first chapter today, 17 verses. Uh, let's read it. I, I know you think you know the story, but pretend like you haven't heard it, and that way let your heart be soft and listen for what God will say to you today in the first chapter of Jonah. Here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the, say it, opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. But why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let's leave him there a while. So the very first international missionary, when he got the great commission, ran opposite direction, as fast and far as he could go. So it begs the question, where do you go when you want to run from God? One of my favorite uh, Baptist preachers is a man named uh, Tony Campolo. Uh, Tony tells the story of being asked one day to preach at this giant uh, Pentecostal college. So he did. Uh, Y'all know Pentecostals? Probably mostly Baptists in this house, but... Anyway, the Pentecostals wanted to pray for Pastor Tony before he preached to the students in the chapel service. So they called him back in this room, and all these Pentecostal men came around him, and they laid hands on him. Y'all ever been in one of those Pentecostal prayers? You ever had hands laid on you for any reason? 
It, it, it's a wonderful thing, and I'm not saying it's not wonderful, but the thing about when people lay hands on you is the longer they pray, the more they just start kind of laying on you, like, like this. And so that's what they were doing to Tony. They all start out, you know, like this, but the longer they pray, you know, they're eventually, you know, just like, so all these Pentecostal men are arresting on him, laying on him, and he's, he's actually enjoying it very much because they're praying for the Holy Spirit to set him on fire and send him into the chapel with, with fire and love to, to win the hearts of these students. Holy Spirit, anoint him to speak. Holy Spirit, fill him and anoint the students to hear. And they prayed on and on, and they rested their hands on him and, and just prayed the Holy Spirit down upon him before he went to preach to the students. At least they did until this one Pentecostal guy got around the circle to him, and he started praying. But it's almost like he didn't know who he had his hands on because he just started praying, Lord bless Charlie Stoltzfus. And that was his name, Charlie Stoltzfus. He started saying, Lord, Lord bless Charlie Stoltzfus. Lord, we ask you to come down now upon Charlie Stoltzfus. And Tony Campolo was thinking, who is Charlie Stoltz? I mean, you know, I would be kind of thinking, if you're, if you're going to lay your whole body on me and pray, I think you should pray for me. You know, but, but no, he said, Lord, Charlie Stoltzfus, Charlie Stoltzfus, Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus, and you know he's about to leave his wife and three kids. Lord, send an angel now. Send an angel to stop that man. Don't let him leave his family. Lord, you know Charlie. And, and Tony's singing, he knows Charlie Stoltzfus. He knows Charlie Stoltzfus. But he goes on. He said, Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He's about to leave his wife and three kids. Charlie Stoltzfus and his family, you know, the ones that live out the end of Main Street down by the creek and in about a mile, and he went through the whole thing like God doesn't know where Charlie Stoltzfus lived. So you know, out by the creek, you, you turn by the creek and go about a mile, and, and Charlie Stoltzfus and his family, they live in that silver trailer on the right. It's like, But he prayed on and on and on for Charlie Stoltzfus, and finally he stopped, and finally all the men said amen, and Tony Campolo went into the chapel, and he preached to the students, and it was amazing. It was good, you all, and then it was over. He got in his car to drive home. He's driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, looked up, saw a hitchhiker on the side of the road, so he picked him up, because that's what Baptist preachers do. We like an audience. We like an audience, you know, that's captive. So Tony Campolo thought, I'll pick this dude up. I'll, I'll, I'll preach to him until I put him out, you know. That's what he's thinking. So he pulls up, says, where are you going? The man says where he's going. He says, well, get on in. I'll take you as far as I can take you. He gets in the car, and Tony Campolo's now riding with the hitchhiker. Tony looks over. He's driving. He says, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? <laughs> man said, my name's Charlie Stoltzfus. Tony Capone looks at him and then floors it. It's another flood. And Charlie's up against the door like this. He said, what are you doing? Where are we going? What are you doing? He gets to the next exit. He turns it around. Floors it right back into town. Charlie's like, what are you doing? Who are you? What are we doing? He says, I'm taking you home. Charlie said, what do you mean? He said, you're Charlie Stoltzfus. You're leaving your wife and three kids, and I'm taking you back home. So I mean, she's just driving. And remember, he knows where he lives. <laughs> he knows where he lives. So he gets on Main Street. He drives all the way in. He gets to the creek. He turns by the creek, goes another mile, gets to the silver trailer on the right. Charlie said, how do you know where I live? <laughs> Tony Cabola said, God told me. 
He said, now you get back in that house. I'm going to come in there and talk to you and your wife. You get back in there right now. Charlie ran to his door, ran in the trailer. When Tony Campolo got there, the husband and wife are both sitting on the couch with eyes this big. (laughs) True story. That afternoon, Tony Campolo led that man and his wife to Jesus. And today, Charlie Stoltzfus is a Pentecostal preacher in the South. Okay, back to my original question. Where do you go to run from God? And why would you run? College students, uh, frequently the topic of conversation when you're in the season of your life is, you know, what am I going to do? What does God want me to do? What's my major? You know, beyond that, you know, where, where am I going to live? You know, what am I going to do? I mean, there's just so many questions. And, and there is this desire to know God's will, or so we say. So often, and it's not just young people. It's, it's often young people. It's, it's often college students. But it's often just a number of us who, who say that we really want to do God's will. We really want to know God's will for our lives. And I guess the thing that you have to remember is that you know enough. Like right now, you know enough. You may not know the whole picture. You may not know the whole plan, but you know enough. You know enough to be obedient today. You know enough to to do what God wants you to do right now. You know enough. You know enough to be completely in God's will, and you know enough to run. Why do you run? Jonah runs. It's the most inexplicable beginning to a story ever. I don't understand. It begins the way most all of the prophetic books begin in the Old Testament. The Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. I mean, that's how they all start. The word of the Lord comes and then the prophet begins to preach. But But instead, verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. This is not going to be another one of those prophetic books. Obviously, this one's different because this prophet is not faithful. This prophet does not listen. The word of the Lord has come to a man who wants nothing to do with the word from the Lord. So he runs in the opposite direction. Now understand, opposite direction is to put it lightly. Tarsus is approximately 2,000 miles, like 2,000 miles. In our day, that's a vast distance. But in Jonah's day, that's as far away as you could go. 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. I mean, everything that's opposite, God says go by land, Jonah goes by sea. God says go to Nineveh, he goes to Tarsus. I mean, as opposite, as disobedient, as rebellious as he can be because his plan is to escape. He's running from the Lord. Notice a couple of things. First off, verse 3, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So he went, say the word, down. He went down. Notice the Lord said, get up and go. Jonah got up and went down. He goes down. And then follow him. Read this chapter again on your own. Follow Jonah because he moves in one direction and it is always down. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarsus. He bought a ticket. He, 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 went, he, he went onto the ship and then on the ship he went 
down into the hold, understand he went down into the bottom of the ship, and then once the storm comes, they have to throw him out, and then he goes down into the sea, and then in the bottom of the sea where he's about to drown, what happens? A fish comes, and then he goes down into the fish. So, so just understand, when you run from the Lord, your life begins at that point to take only one direction, and no matter which way you turn, you're going down. It is this violent downward spiral of your life, and some of you have lived that, and some of you are living that now. It's a downward spiral where nothing seems to go right. Nothing seems to go right for you. In, in Old Testament terms, uh, it's, it's like you take your money and you put it in a pocket with, with holes in it. So that just means that no matter what you have, you don't have it for long because you can't hold on to anything. You can't hold on to friends. You, you can't do well in school. You can't hold on to money. You can't hold on to anything. It's just this downward spiral of life. So Jonah, instead of going up, he goes down, goes down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And there, verse 3, the Hebrew says, he paid the price. He paid the price and went on board the ship for Tarshish. New Living Translation says he bought a ticket. But I love that he paid the price. Actually, this would only be the first down payment on the price he's going to pay because when you are running from the Lord, there is a mighty price that will be paid. And this you know, ticket to Tarsus is just the beginning. You know, honestly, the sad thing is when you are running from the Lord, part of the price you pay is the misery that you bring into your own life. Just the misery of knowing, first off, that you're, that you're running from God. The misery of knowing that you're out of fellowship with the Lord. But, but it goes beyond that. It's just this downward spiral. And eventually, other people begin to suffer for your uh, ignorance and, and rebelliousness. Other people begin to suffer too. So it's never just you that pays the price. The further you go in running from the Lord and the higher tab you ring up in trying to run from the Lord, then the more and the more of your price other people will have to pay. Which brings us to the boat and the sailors with Jonah. Now these guys have nothing to do with any of this. They're Gentiles. I guess you could say these are the, some of the kind of guys that, that God has called Jonah to go preach to. But remember, Jonah's not doing that. I don't want anything to do with that. Jonah's just in the same boat with these boys, and, and Jonah himself is down in the bottom of the boat asleep. What happens? I love it. The Lord hurled. It's like God just, you know, makes one in a ball, like a, a big, like Hurricane Dorian or whatever, just makes a storm and just like, you know? Problem is, it's not just Jonah that's getting swept by the waves. It's, it's a boatload of men, and they don't deserve any of this. Now, let's bear in mind, these are pagan men. They do not know the Lord. They are all kinds of gods. And at this particular moment, when you put a gun to their head, they'll pray to any god. I mean, you got another god because so far we haven't hit the right one. I mean, you know, they're pagans. They do not know the Lord. They don't know Jonah. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. But they're just so interesting in this story. Just so interesting. First off, they're scared to death. Of course they're scared. I mean, there's their seasoned sailors, but they've never been in a storm like this. They begin to pray to any God they can think of. I mean, they're praying to Oprah by the time it's over. I mean, they just don't know anybody else to, you know, to, to pray to. Finally, they remember the guy in the bottom, the hold of the ship. They drag him out and say, how can you sleep? I mean, how can you sleep? 
Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Captain went down and says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Okay, now just stop. The, The irony here, remember, Jonah is the prophet, the man of God, but it seems like these guys in the boat, they seem to be more on target than Jonah is. I mean, like, like the pagan is saying, hey, get up and pray. I mean, like, you, you need a pagan sailor to tell you when to pray, but, but this is Jonah. This is how far away he is. This is how dead his heart is. Get up and pray. Get up and pray. Pray, and maybe your God will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Jonah. Jonah, they cast lots, you know, to try to figure out whose whose fault is it. The lots fall upon Jonah. Notice their questions. It's just amazing. Why is this awful storm, verse 8, why is this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Those are really good questions, actually. Um, Notice that Jonah, though, when he's going to answer all those questions, which, which question does he answer first? The last one. Which it turns out for Jonah is probably the most important question, and that is, what is your nationality? Because Jonah's a Hebrew, and this matters to him. This matters greatly to him. As a matter of fact, this might be a large part of Jonah's problem. He's a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew. He's always thought of himself as being one of God's chosen people. He's always thought of himself as as being very, very different, very, very set apart from the world. He's so set apart that when the commission comes to go and preach to Nineveh, Jonah's not going. You'll notice Jonah would rather die than preach in Nineveh. To put it lightly, Jonah hates those people. I mean, the more we read, the more you'll understand. He just hates those people. I mean, it's not so much God, it's not so much God's word. It's these people that he can't stand. And he would rather see them just die and go to hell than for Jonah himself to go have to preach to those people. He wants nothing to do with those people. Now, in Nineveh, these people are wicked. They are messed up. They really are the enemy nation. And even God, the message is, listen, you people are wicked. I'm going to judge you. I mean, that was, I mean, even God knows how wicked they are. They're wicked. But notice, God says still, go to that great city. I mean, God sees her wickedness, but God also sees her greatness. God knows what this city can be. Go, go preach to him. But Jonah wants nothing to do with Ninevites. It's filthy Ninevites. I'm a Hebrew. Man, I'm telling you, these people are wicked. I, I, I mean, go read. I mean, Google something, y'all. I, I mean, there's lots of archaeological expeditions have discovered Nineveh. We know a lot about that city. A real place. I mean, obviously, it's a real place. A great kingdom. The, the, the center of the nation. The center of the kingdom. We know they were cruel. We know that after great conquering battles, when the Ninevites would march back into their city, often those who had been taken prisoner would be forced to carry on poles the heads of their family members that had been slaughtered. Make you carry their heads on a pole. Archaeologists say that when Ninevite soldiers would would kill someone in battle, they would often, if they could, cut off both legs and then one arm so that they could shake your hand while you died. That's a true story, y'all. 
like shake your hand. I mean, these are cruel, wicked, evil people, and Jonah despises them. So who are you, they say. What is your line of work? Where are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God, one who made the earth and the sea. And the men are terrified. Notice, it's just, again, this isn't even really the, the climax at all of this story, but, but Jonah's this prophet. He's a preacher. He's given this message from God, and God wants him to go and preach, and, and God loves these people. I mean, Jonah makes the mistake of thinking that God must not care about the same people he doesn't care about, but, but God cares, and God loves, and God intends, fully intends for Jonah to preach, and God's power's on him, and it's just the craziest thing, because even right here, like, this is the lamest sermon ever. I mean, I, I could probably top it <laughs> on some Sundays, but, but, and, this, and this day's not over. But this is the lamest sermon ever. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I mean, that's it. All he kind of did was introduce him to the Lord. I worship, you know, the Lord. But notice what happens in just a few verses. What happens? The storm stops, and all the sailors get saved. Like, like this is one of the most... One of the most effective sermons ever preached. I mean, the whole shipload of sailors, every single one of them at the end of this is now worshiping the Lord. Every single one of them. Jonah is amazing. Every single heart in that boat turned over and started serving the Lord's except one. And which one was it? What is wrong with him? These pagan Sailors have softer hearts toward the word of the Lord than the prophet. What is wrong with him? I know uh, you young people, let let Grandpa terrify you here with what happened in the old days. Uh, I have a scar right here. It's not like from the war or nothing. Uh, It's my, this gun show, y'all, boom. It's uh, like right here, I have a scar. Some of you have the same scar. What is it? It's my smallpox scar. Yeah, yeah, I should come up with a better story for how I got that. Yeah, it's just a scar. But back in the old days, listen to Papa, y'all. Back in the old days, they didn't want people to get smallpox. It was a horrible disease, horrible disease, largely eradicated by this, by this practice. They discovered that, that you could inoculate children from ever getting smallpox. Like you never, never really had to get the, the disease at all as, as long as you got the vaccination. So we all got vaccinated, and those of you who never have to worry about smallpox, you got me to thank. You, you know, you're welcome. The way it works, though, is actually what they did back before I started elementary school, that horrible day when you go in and, and, and the nurse is, you know, giving you shots in every end. Um, what the nurse did was actually inject just under my skin a tiny bit of smallpox. Like a, a tiny bit of smallpox. Like this is what they discovered, that, that you could give a, an individual just enough. Like, like not enough to make them sick, not enough that I would ever get smallpox, but just enough so that I never would. You understand? My body would learn to recognize it and therefore I would be immune to it. 
So to this day, you know, I could drink a glass of smallpox, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the whole idea is I've had just enough, and so now I'm never going to break out in, in a full-blown case of smallpox. I got, I got just enough. I've, I've been inoculated. Now, I'm not the first to use this example. It's an old preacher's kind of illustration. Um, religion kind of works the same way. And some of you, in the sound of my voice, I mean, in the cafe, in this room, some of you right now, this is you. Somewhere along the way, you got just a little bit of religion, just a smidge, not enough, not enough to ever make you sort of go overboard with it, not enough where you would ever like break out in, in a full-blown life of faith, just enough, just enough to bring you to church two Sundays out of the month. Just enough to make it, you know, probably get baptized and, and, you know, sort of join a church. I mean, just enough where you, like, say the blessing at Thanksgiving for your family. That, just enough. You got just enough. So, so basically, you got a, a little bit, but not enough so that you would ever, you know, s- surrender to a, an actual life of serving the Lord. You're, you're immune to that. I mean, Jonah... Jonah himself can even speak the word of the Lord and others fall on their face before the Lord, but Jonah's not falling on his face. He's, he's immune to that sort of thing, do you understand? It doesn't affect him. Same way that some of us can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and it never affects you. I could read this Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and it's not going to affect you. You've heard it before. You've heard it before. When I said turn to Jonah, you said, I know that story. I know that story. And therefore, because you think you've heard it, you won't listen. As a matter of fact, most people who say, I've heard all that before, yeah, you really haven't heard it for the first time yet. How do you know that Jonah's been inoculated? How do you know he's immune? Well, first off, It's the miracle of this whole book. It starts with the word of the Lord coming to a man who has long since stopped listening for it. I mean, that's a miracle. It's it's a sign of God's amazing patience with this man. But God's word comes to Jonah, and Jonah is not listening. As a matter of fact, you could say Jonah wants nothing to do with God. Wants nothing to do with God. He has no intention of being faithful, no intention of preaching, no intention of going. As a matter of fact, when God says go left, Jonah goes right. I mean, this is just Jonah. He has no interest whatsoever in in, in God. It's crazy. He's a prophet with no desire, wants nothing to do with God. Some of you, let me be honest. He wants nothing to do with God's word. I mean, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah wants nothing to do with that, nothing to do with that. So Jonah takes off, he runs, he tries to escape. I mean, he would rather die than preach the word. He would rather die. And at the very same time, this word has power. It has power to change hearts. It has power to save. I mean, it has power, as we're going to see, to change an entire city, an entire nation. God's word is power, but that power doesn't work on Jonah. Because his heart's gotten hard to it. He's heard it all before. You know, the words come to him before and he's preached before. And so now, you know, none of that sticks with, with Jonah. I mean, some of y'all, 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, honestly. Do you even read your Bible? I mean, a good number of you never even bring one to church. I know it's on your phone now, and I, I get all that, but, but do you read it? Because I don't care how many Bibles you have, if you're not reading one of them, none of them are doing you any good. I mean, do you have any desire at all for, for God's Word? D- does your heart still find a softness when, when, when the seed of God's Word is planted? It, it, are there... Are there parts of God's word that are operating and growing in you? In the process of all of these Sundays, for all of these years of coming to church, are you becoming at all more like Jesus? Because if you're not, there's something profoundly wrong. There's, there's something very hard and callous about your heart. You're not supposed to be able to sit there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and hear God's word and never, ever change. Never hear a single thing that, that you feel like God's asking you to do. I mean, God raises up missionaries and pastors and sends people to do all sorts of things, but God somehow magically never taps you on the shoulder. Jonah wants nothing to do with God's word, and Jonah wants nothing to do with people. I mean, these pagan sailors are, are rowing as hard as they can because they just don't even want to see this guy die, and by now they know it's all his fault. And they know that he doesn't care enough to get off his bed and scratch. I mean, you know, he is just laying down there sleeping. I mean, I would have thrown his sorry backside in the water a long time ago. But these guys are risking their lives to try to save him. And these guys have such soft hearts. And they're pagans. They don't even know the Lord. Jonah could care less. Could care less. He doesn't care if they die. He doesn't care if he dies as long as he doesn't have to go preach in Nineveh. He doesn't care about a soul. Yeah, maybe his whole problem is, is Nineveh. I, I, I know that you think it's a fish story. It's not. I think it's a mission story. But, and it's obviously about a lot of things, but don't miss the fact, and the more you read, the more you'll see. This is a story about a racist. This is a story about a racist. Jonah just really doesn't care for other people, especially people not like him. He really doesn't care if they all go to hell. He doesn't care. And, and his horrible, silly prejudice and mistake is in thinking that God must hate all the same people he hates because he really is offended that God still loves all these people. It, it really just sort of flies up his nose that, that, that God cares about the Ninevites enough to send him to go preach Because Jonah's heart is not soft like that toward other people or God's word or or God. His his heart is hard. Throw me in the water, he says. Throw me in. I mean, he'd rather die. Would seriously rather die than just do what the Lord says. They throw him overboard. You think that's as low as you could go, but no, he's going to go just a little bit, a little bit deeper. Because this is the thing, God's not going to give up on the Ninevites, just like God didn't give up on the sailors, and God's not going to give up on Jonah either. It's just going to take a lot. You would think by this point Jonah will have learned his lesson, but no, he's got, this is one hard-headed dude. 
Y'all know anybody like that? Which brings me back to the question, where do you go when you want to run from the Lord? The amazing thing that most of us have learned is that of all places, church. Man, the church. Church is a magnificent place to run from the Lord because for the one thing, you can appear very religious. Like when everybody else bows their head to pray, you can bow your head and think about the game, you know, but, but people might think you're praying. They don't know your heart. You see, so you can get your backside into a pew every week and then everybody else just assumes things about your heart. It's magical, isn't it? And for the most part, sometimes even we begin to believe that deceit, that, that because we're going through motions of obedience, but because we are doing a lot of very religious things, that therefore we must be very spiritual people. But, but honestly, um, God knows your heart. He knows where you are. He knows where you're supposed to be, and he knows what time it is, and he knows how to bring you back. When Jonah paid the price to buy the ticket to get on the boat to go to Tarshish, that was a down payment. It's going to be a much higher price to pay. Some of you are learning. The cost in your life from running from the Lord can become astronomical. So why do you run? Jonah's story's not over, far from it, and, and your story's not over yet either. But, but wouldn't it have been amazing if, if at any one of these points along the way, I mean, Jonah's on this journey in the opposite direction, but what if at any one of these points he had just gone back? Like back to where he was when the Lord called him, just go back. And, and this time listen, and this time do it right. I mean, at any point he could miss so much mess if he'd just go back and, and get this right. So, so, Jonah, I'm talking to you now. Why do you run? You, you know what you have to do now. You've got to go back to where you were when he called you. Go back to where you were when your heart was soft. Back to that time in your life when you listened to God's voice and you loved the Lord and, and you would make sacrifices to serve him. We've got to take you back to that place. Back to the place where you last heard his voice and this time, Jonah, get it right. This time, do what he says. This time, don't run. Pray with me. Lord God, you are the one who would leave the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. God, sometimes that lost sheep ain't just lost. Lord, sometimes that lost sheep is running. Sometimes that lost sheep has formed his own strategy to make an escape from the shepherd. Lord, sometimes like Jonah, we all run. Lord, we know enough to be obedient, but we also know enough to run. And Lord, some of us right now are doing our best to run at the same time, hiding from you right here in plain sight at church. 
Because at church, we can always tell our parents that we went to church. At church, we can always make our neighbors believe that we might be a certain kind of person that, that we know we're not. Lord, at church, we can smile and seem to love people when honestly the only person we often love is ourselves. Like Jonah, today, Lord, we have heard your word. We have heard your voice. And we don't know everything that you want us to do, but we know enough to be obedient today. So, Lord Jesus, help us to do whatever it is that we must do today to make our hearts right with you, Lord. I pray that you would shatter the hardness, the callous, Lord, that continues to make our hearts so very resistant to the power of your word, to the gentleness of your spirit. Lord God, for some of us, it's been a long, long time since we have felt that way toward you, since we have walked that closely with you, Lord. For some of us, it's been a long, long time since we felt like you called us and we answered. So Lord, today, we just come back. We come back and we invite you to call us, Lord, call us. Tap us on the shoulder, whisper in our ear, tell us what what the purpose of our life is or tell us tell us why you've put breath in our lungs and strength in our bones give us a reason Lord to live and a reason Lord to live boldly and bravely this time Lord when you send us in a certain direction of obedience Lord don't let us run oh God if we're going to run today may we run to you run to you, Lord. We run to you in Jesus' name.